Det er så mye som sies om Midtøsten at jeg har bestemt meg for å reise ned hit for å oppleve det selv. Og Israel er et sammensatt, mangfoldig og bemerkelsesverdig land. En smeltedigel mellom øst og vest. Her er det kristne, jøder og arabere som lever sammen i et demokrati som er over 60 år gammelt. Dette skal bli veldig spennende. Noe av det som har fascinert meg mest på mine reiser i Midtøsten har vært møte med arabiske kristne hvis tradisjoner kan virke så fremmed på oss. Palestinske kristne forteller at den islamske radikaliseringen har bidratt til alvorlige skillelinjer mellom muslimer og dem selv. Et skille som ikke på langt nær var så sterkt under tradisjonell islam. Også forholdet til jødene er komplisert. Nå tømmes Midtøsten for kristne i kjølevannet av jihadisters brutale angrep på andre muslimske grupper og på kristne. Vi skal snakke med en protestantisk teolog som har arbeidet i Midtøsten i flere tiår. Hun har betydelig kunnskap om jøder og kristne i regionen. Vi er i Midtøsten, og vi vet at de siste årene med Syrien og Irak There has been so much suffering for the minorities, the Christian minorities in the Middle East. Why is it that we hear so little about this in our media? I think the Western Christians are not very much aware of how many Christians in the Middle East actually are living and that they are living there for 2,000 years and that our faith really is a tradition which comes from the Christians in the Middle East. And we have been um, separated from those Christians over the last 1,000 years due to the um, blockade that we had from that world. Um, and it's only that we, over the last uh, 50 years or so, are able to penetrate again our roots, uh, the root world where Christianity comes from. And in the meantime, Christians in the Middle East, they have um, so little knowledge about the, the richness of the faith of the Christians in the Middle East that um, they hardly care about it. Do you think also that the Middle Eastern Christians, they are orthodox, uh, they use incense in the way they worship, they look, they wear very different clothes, the priests. Do you think that the Protestant and the Anglican churches in the West also feel a, a cultural barrier towards 
the Eastern Christians? It could well be that there is a cultural barrier because what we see in the Middle Eastern Christians is that they keep the original faith, which comes, our faith comes from Judaism, um, alive. For example, you mentioned incense. Why, why is it that Christians in the Middle East use incense? Because it is a remembrance of the temple, and the temple used incense, and so there is, a, there is this relation which is still kept alive, and we in the West, especially the Protestants, are very much um, away from our original faith ground, which is Judaism. And the reason why the Orthodox Christians wear black and uh, black and black again and only black and it doesn't look very attractive is um, the outcome of being dimmies, of being a, a third-class citizen group within the Muslim world. And there they had um, dress codex, that is they were not allowed to wear anything but black. And um, because they had to pay huge amount of taxes and uh, and their whole richness was by the dimmy attitude or the dimmy laws taken away from them that they don't have anything anything else but this kind of black clad that you see which is not very attractive. However, if you go into their church services you will be surprised. They stay, still wear all the colors they always had before the Muslim conquest. It is blue and yellow and gold and silver and purple and green and you name it. And the, the more the better. You still see it, it's still there and they only have it and wear it for the church service. Israel and Israelis uh, certainly seem not to wish to have the role of the victim. Uh, and uh, in that sense, can part of the anti-Semitism and the hatred towards Jews and Israel be described uh, as Jews then not submitting to the dimmi uh, culture and to the third, being the third class mm -hmm. citizen in a Muslim Middle East. I think you're absolutely right. I think we already experienced the, the, the dimmi attitude. Let's say, let's say not the dimmi necessarily as a law, but the culture of the dimmi. And the culture of the dimmi is that the dimmi is a third class citizen. It is. Um, it is meant to segregate society into Muslims and non-Muslims. Uh, it is an apartheid system. And, um, and uh, in as much as you oblige uh, to the Dhimma as a, as a non-Muslim, um, it is possible that you, uh, that you get on quite well with, uh, with the Muslim society but uh, only under the condition that the dimmer is kept, meaning you do not speak out against, or do not challenge um, the, the Muslim uh, governmental systems. Israel, uh, according to the um, dimmer culture, is, um, is, is actually non-existent. Israel cannot exist because dimmies cannot have any property land. They, c they cannot have their own land, they cannot have uh, certainly not the state. So in fact, Israel cannot exist, but Israel exists. Israel is strong. They defend themselves. They know how to speak the language of the Middle East because they have been living here for such a long time. 
they have lived through genocides and through murder situations, being expelled completely from Iran, Iraq in the 1950s and 60s and from many other Muslim countries in the Middle East. So they know the language, they know the attitude and they know that they do not want to continue being dhimmis. And, and so they, they play their, they, they say that they are their, their, a nation of their own, they have their own dignity, and, um, and this is such a beautiful contribution to the Christians in the Middle East, because they say it is possible to have your own dignity, to have your own identity. And so what happened is in Israel, they have recognized now the Aramean Christians for the first time since, uh, for, for more than 1,500 years, the Aramean-speaking Christians are now recognized as an ethnic group with its own identity, own dignity in Israel for the first time. And I have seen friends, um, Syrian Orthodox Christians, who woke up in the morning and heard the Knesset are recognizing us. They sprung out of bed and went to register as, uh, as an independent element within the state of Israel. Kristendommen dominerte Midtøsten lenge før de islamske feltogene kom hit på 600-tallet. Egypt, Syria og andre land var i stor grad kristne. Mange konverterte ikke til islam, og disse gruppene lever fortsatt i dag som minoriteter blant en muslimsk majoritet. Da islam overtok, ble tusenvis av kirker brent ned til grønnen. Her i kristendommens vugge ble jødiske Jesus korsfestet og drept. Vi går herbødig til Holy Sepulchre-kirken på Golgata-høyden. Hit kommer kristne pilgrimer fra hele verden. In the past years, we've seen a development within the mainland uh, Protestant churches in the West as well, where there seems to be a growing anti-Semitism, uh, liberal theology that says that the Jews are not the people of the covenant and only Christians are the people of God. What do you have to say about these trends? After the Second World War, after the Shoah, after the Holocaust, many churches have, refra have refrained from continuing this kind of wrong theology. And, um, and today, many people, many Christians in the pews, they would not dream of saying that they have replaced Israel 
or the Jewish people. On the contrary, they, they would always honor the Jewish people as the people of God, as a chosen people, as a firstborn of God, and that they have, um, they have great admiration for this. This is different in the church hierarchy. Very often in the administration of the churches, we find still, or again, the old anti-Jewish, and I would say anti-God theology, which speaks about replacing Israel and the Jewish people by the church. But how can we say that? Because Jesus himself said that he did not come to repeal the law, but to fulfill it and that the summing up of the Ten Commandments basically is love thy God and love thy neighbor. So there is a strong kinship between these two religions. Absolutely. And it is that, there, uh, that what Jesus does, he is a Jew. He was born in the land of Israel. He committed himself to the land of Israel. He came to, in, in the book of Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew, we hear that Jesus is called out of Egypt to go into Israel. And then he is told to go to Galilee, to redeem Galilee. So he is like the Jewish people or his ancestors following the same structure. Jesus is bound to the land of Israel. And as the Torah is part of Israel or is bound to Israel, so Jesus, the living Torah, the word of God, is bound to Israel. So if we as Christians say that Jesus has nothing to do with the land of Israel and we take Jesus away from the Jewish people and the Jewish heritage, then we cannot claim ourselves being Christians because we do deny the very basic ground on which Jesus himself was standing, was teaching. So would you feel that the current rise of uh, anti-Semitic or anti-Israeli sentiments, not only in the public in Europe, uh, but also in the churches, and as well the lack of interest for the church in the East and the persecution that is going on there reflects the West itself losing its Christianity. I think you could say this, yes. But I believe that we, are, we as Christians are called to live up to our baptism, to our calling. And we have in front of us a way to go to reclaim our Christianity. So this is, um, this is something we are all in together. And we do not have at this moment the luxury any longer to much distinguish between Protestants, Catholics and Orthodox. We need to do it together. We need to learn from each other because everybody has some wisdom. We don't have it all at the same time. And together, I'm sure, we will go a wonderful way. And for this, we need the Christians of the East to show us how to work it out in the West. So maybe there is even a blessing for the church coming um, at age in Europe that so many Christians from the East are coming under such, um, under such, um, uh, so much pain, but in order maybe to rescue some of the, of the churches and the Christian 
spirit in the old world, in Europe. We hear so much these days about the suicide bombings and uh, of Iraq, amongst other things, between Shias and, and uh, Sunnis, and a lot of uh, horrible stories about victims of this. And we know in the past, before the security barrier came in Israel, uh, Jerusalem was horribly plagued with a lot of these bombings uh, as well. And uh, you were a victim of one of these. That's right. <clears throat> it was in 1997, the 30th of July. I'll never forget this day when I went to the open Jewish market. It's a vegetable market. Everybody goes there because it's lovely. It's full of wonderful vegetables, fresh, uh, fresh things which are just perfect for salads and, and so that's what you like to eat. So <clears throat> what they didn't know at the same time there were two young students dressed as businessmen going also to the market and they placed themselves strategically um, in different parts of the middle of the market and blew themselves up. So there were two students from Birzeit University here in Jerusalem who were students of uh, physics and they blew themselves up. And there were uh, 19 people that were killed in the market, uh, 200 severely injured and, um, and I was one of the severely injured people. I was, um, it was a grace of God that I survived because I was um, very close to one of the two suicide bombers. And, um, uh, and I was um, heavily burned all over and, uh, and I got lots of injuries and so I went to the, uh, was taken to the hospital where I was in intensive burn care for seven weeks and another two years to recover from the burns and the many um, transplants uh, that I got. 
And um, thanks be to God, after altogether five years of, uh, of treatment, I am one of the lucky ones who survived and who are fully in charge of my own capacities. So that is not true for everybody. Um, we have uh, recently I saw a statistics and, uh, from the Tel Aviv University and there they say only 25% uh, of the victims of suicide bombings in Israel have made it fully back into, into everyday life. So <clears throat> I'm really grateful for this. But it didn't happen by chance because I got the best treatment possible at Hadassah University Hospital in Jerusalem. They, they, they are just geared towards this kind of, uh, of terrible injuries that you get from uh, suicide bombings. And they, uh, they rescued my life, that's for sure. Did you resent Arabs? I distinguish between um, the, um, the ideology, the false ideology, the, the murderous ideology of these young people and the people themselves. In fact, what I would say, I prayed for them, and at least for their families. I mean, they were dead, but for their families, that, they, that this hatred, which is a spiritual condition, a bad spiritual condition, that this feeling of hatred is going away from them. So I, and I continue to pray for, for, for these people uh, because I love, I love people, because they're human beings. God created them, so why shouldn't I love them? And I work with, uh, with many people in the in Bethlehem area and, in, and so on, so I go there. So I, I don't have any fear because I know that God protects me. Um, but, uh, but what I do think is that we have to understand where this hatred that we receive is coming from. And we have to inform as many people as possible about uh, the roots of that hatred and thereby maybe start to eliminate that hatred. But I would like to say something else. In many ways, I received so much love during that period of recovery from this uh, attack from the Jewish people that my bond with the Jewish people is there forever. You know, I can't tell you stories over stories. I just let me two two stories. One lady one day came to my to my sick bed in the hospital, and she was out of breath. Beautiful young lady, and she had a long um, plastic rose in her hand, and gave it to me. Said, "I wanted to give it to you, but you know now I have to rush off because my bus to Haifa is going in a few minutes, and I have to go back to Haifa." I said. You really came from Haifa just to give me this rose? Of course, she said. I love you. I want to show this to you. Isn't it something amazing? And this is the Jewish people. They read about you in the newspapers, and here they are. They are acting. And, and another day, there was uh, an Orthodox Jew coming into my uh, bedroom in the hospital, and he gave me a check of $7,000. I looked at it. I couldn't do anything because my hands were all uh, burned and in bandages and my face was in bandages and so on. So I only could speak. And I said, no, 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 it's wrong. It's not for me because I'm, I'm not a Jew. I'm a Christian and you probably want to give it to a Jew. And then he said, mensch is mensch. A human being is a human being. 
He used the Yiddish word mensch. And so you get it as much as anybody else. You suffered, so why shouldn't you have it? And then I said, wait a minute, who are you? I mean, I want to thank you. At least my husband wants to thank you afterwards. No, no, it's not important, not important. And off he went. I said, we called him back. So he came back and gave me his name very reluctantly. And then later on, my husband told me, you shouldn't have done this. He did this for God. And you took away a mitzvah, a good deed. And he did for God. And it has nothing to do with him as a person. So, you know, the, the, the being for each other, loving the other, loving the Jew, loving the Christian, loving the Arab, loving the Muslim, this is so typical for Israel. Jesus, som hjalp alla, uansett politisk, religiös, etnisk eller social tillhörighet. Han älskade alla och satte krav till oss som väljer troen till ett liv i rättfärdighet och godhet mot andra, ärlighet, nåde och riktighet. Ydmykhet. Vi skal elske hverandre slik han elsket oss.